Thanks for tuning in today. You're listening to the official podcast of First Alliance Church in Great Falls, Montana, creating passionate followers of Christ. Today's message is from one of our elders. Good morning. I extend that uh, greeting not only to you here in the sanctuary, but uh, to those of us uh, joining us online, assuming that electronics work. (laughs) Oh, we've got the thumbs up. Good. I've got a friend who says, uh, I love technology. I just don't trust it. And may God bless you this Lord's Day. In his absence, Pastor John asked if I would give today's message. As you know, Pastor John and Pastor Tim, along with their wives, Doris and Pam, are on their way to Israel. Uh, Many of you helped uh, give to help get them there and are praying for them during this trip. Uh, And you can't go there without money, and you wouldn't want to go there without prayer. So let's pray for them again and for our time here this morning. Heavenly Father, you are the magnificent creator, our benevolent provider and the great and holy I am. We're here to remember your goodness and praise your name. Father, we lift before you the Reese's and the Buckheights and ask for your blessing, your provision, and your hand of protection upon them as they travel to the Holy Land and back. Fill them with new insights and new passions for the Savior and allow us to glean from them uh, when they return. Father, we also ask that you bless the reading of your word today, and we ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. We've been going through our series, uh, David, The Life of a King. Today's text is 2 Samuel chapter 9, which tells the story of Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, who is also Saul's grandson. To give his story context, it helps to revisit how it came to be. Israel has been at war with its neighbors for most of Saul's reign as Israel's king, about 30 years. Mixed in with this nation conflict is the dysfunctional turmoil within Saul's family. This includes, but is not limited to, Saul and his wife, Saul and his daughter Michael, Saul and his son Jonathan, Saul and the judge and prophet Samuel, Saul and David, and most importantly, Saul and the Lord himself. Finally, in the Philistine battle on Mount Gilboa, Jonathan is killed, and Saul, badly wounded and knowing he is lost, takes his own life. Moreover, when David becomes king, he inherits Saul's conflicts, and the fighting continues. David deals with Saul's rebellious son, Ishbosheth, and battles the Philistines and the Moabites and the kingdoms of Zobah, Syria, and Edom. Yet, the scripture includes this beautiful account of David and Mephibosheth in 2 Samuel chapter 9. Then David said, Is there yet anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. 
The king said, Is there not yet anyone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is crippled in both feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Over the many years, running from Saul, living in the land of the Philistines, the many battles, the tragedy, then triumph of returning the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, David had long remembered his pledge to his most trusted friend, Jonathan. Many years earlier, as found in 1 Samuel chapter 20, Jonathan vowed to support David uh, regarding his father's disposition and plans for David. Trying to protect David from Saul put Jonathan squarely in the crosshairs. For Jonathan, shielding David from Saul was treason against his father, the king of Israel. To go against David, God's newly anointed, was treason against the king of the universe. The covenant rested not only in what Jonathan would do for David, but also in what David would do for Jonathan. In 1 Samuel 20, verses 15 through 17, Jonathan requests this, And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him, because he loved him as he loved himself. In his poem, The Cremation of Sam McGee, Robert W. Service wrote, A promise made is a debt unpaid. Sometimes a promise can be an overwhelming burden. In 2 Samuel 9, it's not David's anxiety that's on display, but his heart. He doesn't just want to fulfill a promise to a fallen friend. David wants to honor Jonathan's legacy of faithfulness. Note David's words. In verse 1, David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? The definition of the root word kind is somewhat broad. Included in its meanings are, one, affectionate and loving. Two, of a sympathetic nature, disposed to be helpful. Three, of a forbearing nature, that is, gentle. The Hebrew word used here is hesed, and it might be even wider in scope, which is why translators often use more than one word to try to capture its essence. Steadfast love and loving kindness are two examples. Hesed highlights the concept of belonging together in a love-based relationship. It is often used to show God's faithful love for his chosen but unfaithful people. Among the most beautiful and poignant uses of Hesed is found in Hosea chapter 2. And I betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in loving kindness and compassion. And I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. Then you will know the Lord. The steadfast love 
that we're talking about here and that David uses is that feeling and commitment that David is trying to convey by using the word hesed. He's showing his desire to honor the house of Saul and to keep his promise to Jonathan by showing kindness to Jonathan's heirs. How about you? Have you ever been the recipient of someone's kindness and grace? About David's desire, Chuck Swindoll wrote, I think it's worth noting that he asks, is there anyone? He doesn't ask, is there anyone qualified? Or, is there anyone worthy? He says, is there anyone? Regardless of who they are, is there anybody still living who ought to be the recipient of my grace? That's the unqualified acceptance that's based on unconditional love. So David and his servants ask around, and they find out about Ziba, the chief steward of Saul's estate. When he appears in verse 2, he answers David by stating, I am your servant. Ziba answers well, for a man in his position is in a delicate situation. It's unlikely that Ziba would have been put into such an important role as to oversee Saul's estate without Saul's trust. His position naturally lent itself to being Saul's advisor. In those times, a change in kings could also mean wiping out not only the would-be heirs to the throne, but also the military leaders and the counselors of the previous king. By saying to David, I am your servant, Ziba is declaring his loyalty to David. Whether he really means this or is ingratiating himself to keep his head firmly attached to his shoulders is unclear. Events later on in 2 Samuel will reveal the reason for this uncertainty. Nevertheless, Ziba makes himself useful to David by telling him that Jonathan's son Mephibosheth lives and that he is crippled in both of his feet. Mephibosheth's story really starts five chapters earlier in 2 Samuel chapter 4. After the death of Saul and Jonathan and two other sons, a surviving son of Saul, Ishbosheth, is made king of Israel in direct competition with David. David was chosen by God and anointed by Samuel. Ishbosheth was merely named king by Abner, the commander of Saul's army. Ishbosheth was just a pretender to the throne. No wonder the direct translation of Ishbosheth's name is man of shame. Mephibosheth's name also has the Bosheth suffix. When Abner was murdered, the scriptures say that Ishbosheth lost his courage and panic broke out in the northern tribes of the kingdom, especially in the capital, Mehanahim. <laughs> Mehanahim. Uh, which is located about 65 miles northeast of Jerusalem and on the east side of the Jordan River. 2 Samuel 4.4 says, Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. The biblical text, as rendered in the English Standard Version, indicates the accident was the cause of Mephibosheth's mobility impairment. Soon after this, Ishbosheth 
suffered the same fate as Abner, his military leader, and was murdered. Ishbosheth was killed by two of his own soldiers. Jumping forward again to 2 Samuel chapter 9, David sends for Mephibosheth. Verse 6. Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he said, here is your servant. Note that Mephibosheth's response to King David was nearly identical to Ziba's. Both identified themselves as David's servants. Mephibosheth knew as a direct heir to Jonathan, and thus to Saul, that David could simply eliminate him as a threat to the new king. Some evidence supporting that is that Mephibosheth was in a small backwater town called Lodabar, a barren area whose name means no pasture. Mephibosheth wasn't there by accident. He was hiding from the king. Before we hear David's response, in order to better understand what lessons we can take from this scripture and what application we can make it to our own lives, we need to look at why David is called a type of Christ and what does the word type mean? Not surprisingly, typology is the study of types. A type is a specific kind of pattern or symbolism where a person, object, or event in the Old Testament is precursor to or foreshadowing of a person, object, or event in the New Testament. Typology necessarily involves comparing similarities, but also contrasting differences in who or what is being compared. Here's an explanation from Got Questions Ministry. When we say that someone is a type of Christ, we are saying that that person in the Old Testament behaves in a way that corresponds to Jesus' character or actions in the New Testament. When we say that something is typical of Christ, we're saying that an object or event in the Old Testament can be viewed as representative of some quality of Jesus. When we call David a type of Christ, it's critical to remember that David is an imperfect, mere shadow of Jesus, an incomplete fulfillment of the Messiah. Keep this in mind as we look at how the story of David and Mephibosheth applies to us. As analogies go in this text, we are Mephibosheth. He was wounded and broken by a fall. We are wounded by Adam's fall inheriting Adam's sin, then perpetuating our sin condition to the next generation. The Apostle Paul stated this passing of, uh, uh, on of sin from Adam to all my, mankind quite clearly in Romans 5.19. For just as though the disobedience of the one man, that's Adam, the many were made sinners, so also the obedience of the one man, that's the Lord Jesus, the many will be made righteous. When we trust in ourselves, we're only capable of passing on our fallen sinful state to our sons and daughters, and we are lost. When we trust in Christ Jesus and in him alone, we are seen by the Father as righteous. Our Heavenly Father sees us as righteous, not because of some trick one-way mirror, but because of our perfect Savior's perfect sacrifice on the cross on our behalf. The great exchange of the righteous for the unrighteous. About Mephibosheth, 
Bible commentary writer L.M. Grant said, No doubt he was afraid when summoned into the king's presence that he might even be put to death. Similarly, when we who know we are sinners are called to face our creator, we are fearful of the eternal consequences. Just as Mephibosheth did not know the heart of David at first, so a guilty sinner does not at first realize how great is the love of God in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord that in our story of David and Mephibosheth, David lives up to his billing as a type of Christ. 2 Samuel 9, 7 gives us David's decree. David said to him, Do not fear, for I surely will surely show kindness to you for the sake of your father Jonathan, and will restore to you all the land of your grandfather Saul, and you shall eat at my table regularly. How magnanimous and benevolent of the king. David can sense the apprehension that Mephibosheth feels, so he seeks to set him at ease with, do not fear. How wonderful it must have been for Mephibosheth to be given a reprieve, to be told, take a breath, knowing it wouldn't be his last breath. And it's about to get much better. For I will surely show kindness to you for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I don't know if David paused at this point or not, but if he did, Mephibosheth might have gone into full golden retriever mode. Yeah, yeah, is there more? And will restore to you all the land of your grandfather Saul. At this point, Mephibosheth is about at the limit of his ability to comprehend what David is saying. When David drops the mother of all blessings on him, and you shall eat at my table regularly. Wow. Remember, we are Mephibosheth. We have no right to be at the king's table, and yet, here we are. Again, L.M. Grant. What a lesson for us is this, that God is not only merciful in forgiving our sin, but in overabounding grace, he enriches every believer far more than he could ever imagine that he could ever receive. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Mephibosheth's response is in verse 8. Again, he prostrated himself and said, What is your servant that you should regard a dead dog like me? Mephibosheth, I knew he was going to blow his name. I think John had me preach today so he wouldn't have to stumble over Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth's choice of words is interesting. What is your servant? Sounds like David's reply, Who am I, O Lord God? From chapter 7 in Pastor John's sermon last week. Both found themselves in a situation that left them in stunned gratitude. God's grace does that. Both the cripple and the king compared themselves to a dead dog, a term that emphasizes their unworthiness. In David's case, 1 Samuel 24, 14 records David referring to himself this way to King Saul when David spared Saul's life the first time. Verses 9 and 10. Then the king called Saul's servant Ziba and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. You and your sons and your servants shall cultivate the land for him. And you shall bring in the produce so that your master's grandson may have food. Nevertheless, 
Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall eat at my table regularly. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Maybe you've heard the Christian adage, where God leads, God provides. To honor Jonathan, David has blessed Mephibosheth, but he knows that Mephibosheth's body is not up to the task of tilling soil, planting seed, picking fruit, harvesting crops, and herding livestock. So, the king makes a way where there was no way. Ziba was already in charge of the land for Saul, so shall he be for Mephibosheth. Verse 11, then Ziba said to the king, according to all that, the Lord, that my lord the king commands his servant, so your servant will do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table as one of the king's sons. This is the third mention of where Mephibosheth will eat. Of course, it's not as if he's going to be reduced to standing on some Jerusalem street corner with a tin cup in his hand, begging for a morsel of food, if David hadn't been so generous. The king just gave him productive land and 36 men to run it for him. The first lesson here is that God provides. It's not for nothing that his name is Jehovah Jireh. Abraham and Isaac found this out on Mount Moriah, where God gave Abraham the ram caught in the thicket as a sacrifice in place of Isaac. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. What about you? Has Satan attacked you with God took you in a tough time just so he could abandon you? That's the lying lie of a liar and completely opposite of what Scripture teaches. So, if you're hearing those lies from the devil, just do your best imitation of the Heisman Trophy. Give Satan a stiff arm and quote Scripture. The Lord will provide. Just don't confuse your wants with your needs. The second lesson here might actually be more important than the first. Why does the Lord keep teaching us that Mephibosheth will eat at the king's table? Remember, we are Mephibosheth. It's far more than satisfying our hunger pains. It's about prestige. We get to be with the king. He longs for fellowship with us. Quite a while ago, I led an adult Sunday school class that used a series of videos by Kurt Kloninger. The subject dealt with our misconceptions of God that keep us from accurately seeing who God really is and how he wants us to relate to him. For instance, we might think of God as a cosmic killjoy, more interested in rules than relationship. Or we might treat him as some kind of heavenly vending machine only existing to give us our every want, even if he knows it's harmful for us. In one of the videos, Kurt Kloniger asked this, do you know why dogs like to stick their heads out of windows of moving vehicles? He said it wasn't because they were too hot. He said it was their way of saying, hey everybody, look who I get to ride with. God wants to spend time with us so that when we do, we can say, look who I'm with. It's about the prestige of spending time in the presence of the king. 
The gift that David gave Mephibosheth is the same one the Father offers to believers through Jesus. Verses 12 and 13. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and, who, uh, who, and all who lived in the house of Ziba were servants to Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate at the king's table regularly. Now he was lame in both feet. For the second time, the scripture mentions that Mephibosheth was lame in both feet. Why is this repeated? The lesson here is that while God leads and provides for us, in his perfect wisdom, he might choose not to heal us on this side of heaven. Even the Apostle Paul, after praying for his own physical healing, was told by the Lord, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. That's from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. For the fourth time, it's said that Mephibosheth ate at the king's table. God invites us to be in fellowship with him. He does this freely, but it's not free. Jesus provided a path to fellowship with the Father by giving his life on the cross as payment for our sin. That's the cost of freedom. So let's encourage one another not to treat this invitation to fellowship lightly. Instead, let's invest ourselves in our relationship with the Lord. Lastly, I've said several times this morning that we are Mephibosheth. But if we're going to exercise our faith, we need to take some action steps. Here are some ideas that you can put into practice this week to do just that. Pastor and Bible commentary writer David Guzik says that King David's grace to Mephibosheth is also a pattern for us in serving and ministering to others. When we do these things, we are David. We should seek out our enemies and seek to bless them. We should look for the poor, weak, lame, and unseen to bless them. We should bless others when they don't deserve it and bless them more than they deserve. We should bless others for the sake of someone else. We must show kindness of the kindness of God to others. May God bless us as we remember how unworthy we are like Mephibosheth, how blessed we are by God because of his grace, and how privileged we are to share his grace with others. Join me in prayer. Father, thank you that you give grace to us, not that we deserve it, which we don't, but because we so desperately need it. And you extend grace and mercy because that is part of your holy character. Thank you that Jesus died on the cross to pay the price that we could never pay. Help us to be grace givers to others this week. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We hope you are blessed by the message today. Follow us on social media to keep up to date with church news and events.